Yay, class. There you go. Gunner's so excited. Oh. Savage. There you go. Pastor's kids, I tell you, man. There you go. We are a mess. So, well, welcome, everybody. You'll notice for those of you who are here, if you're watching online, you can't tell. But for those of you who are actually here in the building, we are in round tables, uh, which is something that we do a little bit differently. Once a year, what we'll do is we will do something different, and we will gather together in round tables and have a shortened, hopefully shortened, everyone cross your fingers for a shortened message, a shortened message, and then we will sit and talk about what uh, just happened. And the reason why I like that is usually in my sermons, I like to have a point of application But with these, I don't have a point of application. The point of application will come from everyone's discussion. Uh, It's a great way to learn um, about each other and about God's word through communication. Before we do that, though, I want to do a little housekeeping item. I had a couple questions about something, so I wanted to address it. Um, One of the things that I've gotten some questions about, um, if you are, again, in the room, you know this. Everyone in this room is wearing masks except me and Miss Daisy, who's drinking right now. Um, (laughs) Sorry to call you out, but I had to. Um, So everyone is wearing masks except for the people, for me on stage. If you're watching online, you may notice that the people here on stage, some of them are wearing masks and some of them aren't. And the reason for that is that we've decided as a church from the very get-go, we will follow uh, the the directives from the government. We just have felt, looking at scripture, that that's the best bet for us to do. Um, And one of the things with the new restrictions that came out, that churches are actually Have some music going on back here. All right. See if we can, that's going to drive me crazy. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, so uh, one of the things that in the uh, new restrictions is that they do request that everyone wears masks indoors. But one of the things they also have done is that they have specifically, uh, the Department of Health and the governor had said that those who are leading religious services, those who are preaching or those who are leading worship, may not wear masks uh, according um, to the rules. So we decided to adopt that. So you'll see that people who here on stage are not wearing masks. I share that just as a housekeeping item. You okay, man? Thanks, man. So I share that as a little bit of just a housekeeping item because I've got some questions like, hey, how come some people are wearing masks on stage, some people aren't when we all should be? But I also wanted to say something else about that. You know, there's been, I try to stay, try not to touch politics with the 10-foot pole from the pulpit. I believe in preaching Jesus. And the reason that I don't talk about anything else, because we believe that every knee bows to Jesus. Every politician, every political party bows to the name of Jesus. So that's what we're going to preach. But What I do want to say, though, I'm actually very thankful as we have gone through this coronavirus pandemic in the state of Washington, churches have been granted more freedom than almost any other group. And I know that that's a narrative that sometimes people disagree with, but in looking at the rules, there are certain exceptions for churches that nobody else gets to do. And I think that that's um, worth noting because one, I think that it just shows the power of prayer, right? We're supposed to pray for our leaders. And how great is it that we live in a state that says, hey, churches, we will give you more freedom than everywhere else. In fact, we have been able to use this freedom to partner with other members of the community who want to do events here. 
We've done four outreach events here in our building. And for the outreach events, we've not had to do anything. People are like, can I just show up with a couple hundred of my friends and use your parking lot? And you can just send your church to come enjoy and to preach Jesus to them. And we absolutely do. So we've had almost a thousand people so far this summer come through our parking lot in all of these events. And the reason that's because is because we are granted more freedom than anyone else. So all that to say, keep praying uh, for our government. And just, I'm, I'm very thankful that again, that we, um, in honoring what was said, that we are also being honored by having more freedom than most other places. So um, just wanted to give a little bit of a shout out that as we're about ready to go. So we're starting a new series I'm excited about called The Names of God. Names of God. So names are something that are really important. How many different names do you have? Think about it for a second. How many different names do you actually have? Well, personally, I've got, right, my name, John, but I have people call me a lot of things. Things like dad, right, daddy. Things like Pastor John, some people will just call me pastor, right? There's lots of different things that I will actually be called. Some I'm not going to share. <laughs> and if after the service, if you're like, can you believe what John had said? I think everyone here will know who we're talking about. We currently don't have any other Johns who go to our church. But if you were to go to your neighbor and say, can you believe what John said? They would say, I have no idea who John is, right? I have, I have no clue what's going on. In fact, John is a pretty popular name. And if I'm in a group with other Johns, I almost always get the moniker of Big John. And then people know exactly who you're talking about. I'm sure there are some bigger Johns out there in the world, but I have not come across very many people uh, face-to-face who are bigger than me named John. You know, when I was in college, we had uh, an interesting situation. We had two roommates who lived together, and both of them were named Sam. And it created quite a problem for us on day one to figure out who the heck we were talking about. So we decided to nickname them. One, we called Korean Sam. I'll let you guess why we named him Korean Sam. And the other one, we named Bagpipe Sam. He played the bagpipes, so why not? Um, And it's funny, those names actually stuck all throughout the time when we were in Bible college. Even to this day, uh, I'll, see, I'll, I'll see Korean Sam around, and I will call him Korean Sam or K-Sam. We kind of shortened it because we're cool. And it's funny, even though there was about 10 to 12 different Sams that went to that Bible college, everybody knew who you were talking about when you said Bagpipe Sam or Korean Sam. It immediately got a connection because that name was so personalized. It was something that is still stuck with them to this day. You know, we have a similar situation when it comes to the name of God, right? When we use the term God, we have in the world about 7.5 billion people currently, 7.6 billion people on earth, and over 7 billion of them believe in God. Some type, whether it be the Judeo-Christian or Islamic God, or whether it be other gods that they worship. And this term is used interchangeably. In fact, many places around the world, if you say, I believe in God in their language, they'll say, well, which God do you believe in? And it kind of creates a little bit of an issue. Well, did you know that the God that we worship here has a very, very personal name that that he has? And that this name is so profound In fact, in this very name, it tells us something about who he is and also the character of this God that we worship. 
Stay tuned. I won't tell you what name this is. It's on your paper, so don't look at those either. But I'll tell you what that name is, and that's the name that we're going to look at today. And so as we go through the next couple of months and we go through this series, as we will discover different names of God, different things that God was called in the Bible, we will learn about his character. If you know somebody, or if you're just like, I kind of just want to know more about this God that we say that we all worship, this is a perfect sermon series for you. We're going to learn about who God is through his names. So starting today, I, uh, we were planning on going outside, so I don't have any of, this, uh, any of the verses on the uh, screen, but there are on the little papers that we have. Starting off today, I'm going to go to the very first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, first, book of, first verse of the Bible. And this is the very first time the name God, or the word God is used in the Hebrew Bible. I'm going to go ahead and read it here, um, although a lot of people may have it memorized. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So for, fourth word in the Bible is this word God. And the Hebrew word for God is Elohim. And the way that this word Elohim was translated, God is exactly the same way we think of God. That it's simply an ambiguous term about God. It could be Elohim, could be about this God that the Hebrews worship. It could be the God that Phoenicians worship or the Egyptians worship. It's just the term God. Uh, a little bit of a rabbit trail, just because, you know, I'm a biblical languages nerd. Uh, actually, Elohim is the plural form of God. That if you just looked at God, it's El. El is God, but Elohim is what was used in the Old Testament text. And you would say, well, why is that? Do we worship many gods or what's going on? Um, one way that's it's really fascinating, again, rabbit trail, Hebrew scholar, or I'm not a Hebrew scholar, Hebrew nerd, so um, that's interesting. If we have, you'll see on my notes here, some of you, you'll see that I have certain things bolded and underlined in my notes. It's a way to provide emphasis for me as I'm reading. Well, in Hebrew in those days, they didn't have a way. They didn't have a bold or an italic or an underline. So whenever they wanted to provide emphasis for something, they would pluralize it. And that was a way for them to say, to emphasize. So as a Jew who was reading the um, Torah, it says, in the, in the beginning, God's created. It's kind of a way to say it's God, but it means like an emphasis. It's like a, this is a big deal. So again, a little bit of a nerd there. <laughs> so as you read and you see just the, the term God, G-O-D in the Bible, usually it's Elohim uh, translated to give it emphasis, give it power, because they've had a, a lot of reverence for him. But again, this term El meant different gods. In fact, another little interesting tidbit, the phrase today Allah uh, is Arabic for God. And in fact, Allah and Elohim, they have a similar root, El and All. So they go back to the very same root. So my point is by saying this, is that this term Elohim that we read in the Bible, that's just God, it really isn't a name. It's more of a title, right? It, just, it simply just means God, something that's up there. And in fact, when Moses was even writing this, there were many different gods that went by the name El or Elohim. Lots of different ways. So the question is, when do we, in our Bible, when do we first see God's personal name being used? When is the first see that he reveals that name to us as people? And he does that in Exodus chapter 3. We're in the story of Moses and the burning bush. And that's going to be the passage that we look at today. 
before we get there, as we're setting it up, I just want to read chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It's on your little sheet here as you read. And I went ahead and wrote out the names for God in the passages. So Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25 says, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to Elohim. Elohim heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. So Elohim looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So we have all this groaning coming up, and Elohim hears all of this. And so he decides to save his people. So at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, he brings Moses over, and he see a burning bush. And Moses comes up and has this conversation with this God Elohim. And Elohim asks, God, uh, asks Moses to do something pretty insane. He says, I want you, I'm going to commission you to go and save my people. Moses had lived hundreds of miles away and had fled Egypt previously. And he says, I want you to go and save my people. And it's funny, Moses, I won't read it here for time, but he if you read the encounter at the first part of Exodus 3, Moses actually does something interesting with God. He asks him an odd question because Moses asks this Elohim, well, when the people ask me, who sent me, who should I say? Should I say Elohim, right? And that question kind of doesn't make sense, but if we know the, the, the background of the term Elohim, it's a very impersonal name. You can imagine that if somebody you know, from halfway around the world came along and said, God told me to tell you this, you would be like, well, which God? Is it my God? Is it your God? Like, which God is it? In fact, I uh, remember one of my professors, he grew up in Iran, uh, Bible college professors, he grew up in Iran, and uh, he was raised Muslim, and he came here and emigrated to go to school. And his life was just a mess, just kind of a crazy story of going on. And he cried out to Allah, like the only God that he knew. He says, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to me. Tell me what I should do with my life and give me a dream tonight. And that night, actually, Allah came to him in a dream. And in that dream, he asked, which God are you? <laughs> like, which God, who do I worship? And, and through that dream, he said that he actually was like, that Allah, in his mind, had revealed himself as the God of the Bible and that Jesus Christ, and he gave his life to Christ, and then he became a pastor. It was his story. This is a crazy story. But even in that dream, he asked, like, which God is appearing to me in this dream, right? And it's the same thing that Moses is doing here, because it's kind of this impersonal title or name. And this is where God responds, and this is where he gives his personalized, amazing name right here in Exodus 3, verses 14 through 15. It says, Elohim said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. Elohim also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac and the Elohim of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So he says here that his personal name is Yahweh. And as we hear this phrase, and we actually see the definition of what it is, it's I am. Yahweh means I am. And as we Listen to that. It kind of, I think it could sound a little cool and philosophical at first, right? You're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I am who I am. Like, 
and that's kind of a cool little philosophical note and can quickly move on. Um, another way of saying this in some of the footnotes of your Bibles, when you look at the tense and actually the way that this is phrased, is that it, another translation could be, I am and will continue to be, because it's in the future, I am and will continue to be what I am. But this is what he's saying here. And this is what's so profound about this name, is that what he is saying is that whatever character traits or attributes that he displays, that Yahweh displays, that's who he is. I am who I am. Meaning that if I show you love, that is what love is. Love is me. If I show you forgiveness, that is what I am. So as you're going through and you want to know, hey, I received love from this God Yahweh, what exactly does love is? If you look up, and then what, what uh, Yahweh is saying here is that if you actually look up love in the, in the dictionary, you'll see a little picture of Yahweh. That his character traits, anything he displays, that is who he is. I am who I am. Whatever it is I do, whoever I am, that is me. I am the very definition of that. And that sounds really interesting, and I think it's a little hard to wrap your minds around it unless you think about it in human terms, right? So let's say that I show love to somebody. I'm walking by and somebody is like carrying some really heavy bags and I all of a sudden go over there and I say, hey, you know what, let me go ahead and help you and let me carry those bags up for you and kind of help you out. I display that positive attribute, right? I display that I'm loving my neighbor. But does that mean that when you look up loving your neighbor, I'm in the dictionary? Who laughed? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's like, exactly. Somebody who knows it very much. I'm like, who laughed at me? Um, exactly right, right? Now, do I sometimes show love to my neighbor? Yeah, sure, of course I do. But am I the very definition? If you want to look at and do a sermon on loving your neighbor, would you put me as the example? 100% not, right? Or think of it like this way. Let's say that you have a friend named Susie. I don't know anyone named Susie, which is why I'm using that name. So you have a friend named Susie who decides to go out on a first date with somebody by the name of Ted. And they go on this first date, and Ted is just awesome. Talk about like a first date and rocking the first date. Does everything perfect. Opens all the doors, you know, moves all the, all the, the tables out and pays for everything and just does, is patient and kind and just awesome. And you're talking with Susie after this date, and you're like, how did that date go? And Susie says, this guy, Ted, on this date, this first, met, this first date that I, I met him, he was the most perfect guy. Everything he did perfect. He was kind, he was patient, did all of that stuff. And you're like, man, that's so great. I really hope that you guys have a long, fruitful relationship and this will turn into something. And then Susie were to go, funny you mentioned that, the wedding is actually this Saturday. And you'd be like, what do you mean the wedding is this Saturday? Well, I, I know Ted, he displayed all of these things to me. That's exactly who he is. You would be like, Time out, just because somebody has done something once doesn't mean that's actually who they are. In fact, Ted may be a serial killer who is just very good at faking, right? Like you don't know somebody based on some of the things you do. But see, the way that God describes him in this name, Yahweh, he is saying that who he is is who he is. Meaning that when he displays these attributes, that is his very character. So anytime we see God move in any way, that is actually who God is, his actual definition of who he is. So folded into his name is this really profound truth that the name Yahweh 
is a perpetual testimony of his faithfulness to his promises. Let me say that again. The name Yahweh, it's a perpetual testimony to his faithfulness of his promises. And this point forward, when you see anyone else use the name of God between them and this Yahweh, they use his personal name, David, all the prophets. They use this name Yahweh. I mean, I am. Interestingly, if you want to know when in your Bibles, if you're reading the translation, that this name Yahweh is used over Elohim or God or anything else, if you look at the, and you see the name Lord in all caps, some of you may, if you read your Bibles, you'll see Lord in all caps. That's when he actually uses his personal name of Yahweh. If you see God, it's usually Elohim or El or some variation of that. So before we get into our groups, there's a, uh, something else that, um, a couple of other things that I want to look at is, first of all, what's so fascinating is that, do you notice that God's name here is a verb, which is a little odd. I I know that most people probably aren't like language scholars, but just about everybody could probably say what a noun is, right? What's a noun? Every single person in here. Good work. Every single person, right? A person, place, for, or a thing, right? John, noun. Table, noun. Carpet, noun. Person, place, or thing. But God's name, Yahweh's name, isn't any of those things. It is a verb. It is an action, something that you do. And this tense, when you look at how it's describing, it's a continuous action. It's just a great reminder that I am is always there, continually there working, moving and never stopping. It isn't just something that's in the past. It isn't just something that's now or something that's in the future. It's all of the above, that Yahweh I am is continually working. He's alive and active every single day. And then the last point that is absolutely amazing, the way that God has ordained stuff, is that we see in the New Testament that Yahweh sends someone to save humanity, the person named Jesus. And Jesus, his name is Yehoshua. His name, the name of Jesus, is taking the word Yahweh, Yeho is Yahweh, and also the verb save. So Jesus' name is Yahweh saves. So again, when you look at the nature of who God is, I am who I am, just in the very name of Jesus, is this promise and this character trait that Yahweh is a God who saves. That's who he is. In fact, a lot of us may not even know that whenever you call on the name of Jesus, you are calling out God's personal name. And you're saying, Jesus, you're saying Yahweh saves. Jesus, save me. Help me, Jesus. You're proclaiming this name as the character attribute that God is always there and is always saving. So what I want to do now is take a moment. We're going to split up into groups. Talk for about 15, 20 minutes. We have two different discussion questions here. These questions were made for us. We were not made for the questions, right? So if you have one of those people at the table who's like, no, stop talking, you're on a rabbit trail, but someone is pouring out their heart, let's go ahead and allow that. And let's go ahead and talk about these two things. If you're, I think we're pretty well spread out, but I think the goal is to have maybe three or four different people. So if you see someone alone or you want to move around, you know, I know that maybe people in the back and go on tables. We'll do this for about 20 minutes. Someone take the lead and we'll go ahead and talk about what, um, 
God is actually speaking through this message. So I'll go ahead and end it now. I'll go down there and join a table, and then we'll I'll come together and pray and end us when we're about ready to end.